Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome to another podcast of The Meeting Room, um, a space which is brave and safe, and where we want to have the hard conversations around racism. This afternoon, we are very privileged to be joined by Linda Martindale, and Linda will tell you a bit more about herself and about her work. Um, I've known Linda for 20 years, maybe, 25, yeah. Yeah, 25 years, and we've reconnected. Um, about a year ago, and she has become a friend of the meeting room. So, welcome, Linda. Mm. Thank you so much. And we just want to say that we're sitting outside um, in the great out, beautiful outdoors. So, if you hear um, some wildlife noises oh, aeroplanes. and aeroplanes, <laughs> <laughs> that's um, mm. just because of COVID, and we just want to be safe. We, we're recording outside. So over to you, Linda. Tell us about yourself. Um, and I think we always ask people, uh, particularly growing up in South Africa and um, and how growing up in apartheid and growing up in a South Africa has has shaped who you are. Yeah, thanks. Um, as as I have said to someone earlier today and to both of you, I'm so encouraged by the work of the meeting room. It kind of gives me hope. Um, that a group of people are having hard conversations and going there where so many people want to kind of ignore it so, or just hope that <laughs> things change but they're not going to unless we face them so thank you for this opportunity and thanks for your example um, I think if this happened more around the city mm. it would make a big difference mm. yeah so thanks lovely to be here with you um I actually spent the first 10 years of my life in Zim and went through independence there which as a child Obviously, I had a very different lens to how I see it now as an adult. But um, we moved to South Africa when I was 10. And I do remember in Zim, we'd gone through a process where the schools were integrated. And I was super excited to have a little black girl next to me. And we we kind of felt like it was just new and exciting. And then when I came to South Africa, I felt like we almost went back. Mm. So I felt like I was on a journey um, when I was young that if we had just kept on that journey mm. it would have saved so many years of um, darkness <laughs> in a way um, but yeah when when I got to South Africa I did I do remember noticing um, yeah the obvious why do black people go in that entrance and mm. we go in this entrance and there was the status quo that I just kind of I did notice things but just accepted them as part of mm. Yeah, so yeah, so then um when I think about it, the years of unlearning, obviously that's that's part of the the story, is the years of unlearning that have taken place. But um yeah, just for many years just went with what South Africa was and with the odd question here and there and some distressing moments where I, it's almost like the veil is lifted and, mm. and you see through your um whiteness and your supremacy and your racism and then you there's a distressing moment and then kind of goes back to normal again um yeah so it was only um as i got older that i started to see um what the system was and what it was doing to people and this is why we are where we are today mm -hmm. on this on this undoing unlearning journey mm -hmm. But just to say, when I came to South Africa, um, you know, the the doors just flung wide open mm. for white people, oh. and I had no idea that um, it was at the cost 
of yeah. I just thought wow we're so lucky sure. we're so blessed mm. um, that mm. things have gone so well here mm. for us mm. and and there was some trauma involved in Zim because of uh, the the bush war um, for independence and and so it just felt so great to be in a in a safer place sure. and um, mm. and yeah and just just now realizing how much was at the cost of others yeah. especially education I just walked mm. into a, sure. a fairly good education system yeah so that was part of my awakening was mm. realizing that that wasn't everyone's story mm. at all and how I was treated as an immigrant Mm. was a thousand times better than people who were born in South Africa sure. were treated. So my immigrant story is even more, points more to privilege mm. than, um, yeah. yeah. Now, um, in this podcast, um, we are hoping to go back to basics because we realize that um, often our listeners hear terms or, or um concepts that they're not familiar with so we really just want to sort of go back to the start um in in during this podcast so um talking about racism in south africa can be very difficult for many reasons and talking about our history can even be more difficult um and it's probably easier to ignore it um if you're a white person especially if if history has been on your side or things are working for you currently. What are your thoughts on looking back so we can move forward? Yeah, I, I am a firm believer that you have to look back to understand today, but not just to understand it, but to make different choices going forward. So um, I believe that, you know, I remember one day recognizing that the word ignore and ignorance mm -hmm. were the same root. And I remember thinking, if you ignore stuff for long enough, mm. it becomes ignorance. And the signs are out there that we need to look at our past. Mm. It's very obvious that that we need to be able to understand our past. And why I think it's so key, I mean, there are lots of reasons that, that um, there are lots of reasons, but why I think it's particularly key is if you know our past, it changes your posture mm. for the current. Mm. And... It changes, I think that you move through the world differently if you can acknowledge mm. um, the, the pain and the trauma that mm. our country went through. And I, I do get emotional when mm. I talk about it because I think, mm. I think we sometimes, um, especially white people who, as you say, history has been on the side of, um, we sometimes, well, actually most of the time, we have no clue the trauma, the, the ongoing trauma that people went through family generations, mm. whole cultures um, were decimated, uh, you know, the family structures with the migrant labor system. If you look at the land ownership, the laws that were put into place, it explains so much of where we are today. And so you can't look at the railway lines that separate the races in this country and the job uh, security that was kept for white people and the migrant labor system that kept people poor. All the, you know, I knew a, a beautiful old man who, he was a chef and he just kept training, man, he just kept training the next chef. He was the best chef. He just kept training the next young white person. Um, and if you think of the millions of stories like that, um, 
that if we it, it's not to overwhelm us it's to wake us up mm. because it is overwhelming and people I think often people feel guilty they don't know what to do so we avoid the truth and the reality because because of how we're going to feel mm. are we good people or are we bad people <laughs> there's mm. no nuance and complexity mm. to systems and systemic mm. stuff and how you can slipstream in something even as a goodish person mm. but slipstream into a system that's oppressive um so i think it's it's key for humility i think it's key for um just actions mm. and i think it's key for understanding and a different posture um so I mentioned earlier when we were chatting before this about the South African flag mm-hmm. it it is the it's the height of ignorance to think mm-hmm. that that would not be hurtful mm-hmm. to a generation that's not even finished mm-hmm. um that haven't even passed on yet mm-hmm. um unless you don't think our history was that bad mm-hmm. so you either are ignorant or willfully uh, and empathetic which is actually a a social it's a sign of social unwellness mm-hmm. if you can't have empathy for uh for a, an entire community mm. of people who were treated so terribly so um and for so long so so there's a it's a sign of it's almost psychopathic mm. if you if you as a society can't look back mm. and say this is what happened to our fellow citizens mm. um so that sounds a bit uh, dramatic saying that but it it's actually the the flag issue highlighted mm. how little people either know or will admit mm. about our past because it was a symbol of deep oppression mm-hmm. and deep pain mm. and people were justifying why mm-hmm. you could fly, fly mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. um so that's just one example the same with the national anthem being painful for some people and i look at germ you know i listened to this young german on the radio um not too long ago and he was talking uh, he was 20 or something and he was talking about the collective responsibility mm. and i mean that is decades ago mm. he's young he wasn't saying it wasn't me it wasn't my generation mm. he was saying we need to know our history we need to face up to it and then we need to make sure that we remember it and and do right and I remember thinking there's something missing in our history story that mm. we can't do that. Mm. Like there's something not working in our story mm. that that makes people want to downplay how horrific yeah. things mm. were in this country. And I think that white people weren't part of the TRC on the mm. whole, did no yeah. help in that. Mm. So, so yeah, I think, yeah. And guilt, guilt for me, uh, just i think people avoid it out of guilt which i've got a very soft heart so i hate hearing these the truth mm. but guilt is an activator you can't mm. live with mm. guilt you mm. it activates you yeah. and then you live with mm. the choices that come out of that so i don't live in guilt at all i do lament almost daily yeah. but but there's no guilt is not a state that you can remain in mm. but it does activate you to realize something was wrong something is wrong mm. and then how do we collectively yeah. make it right and yeah. so i don't feel overwhelmed and sad i feel like we have an opportunity yeah. to yeah. make right um even in small pockets yeah. sorry i interrupted you no so. no not at all i was just thinking your <clears throat> example of this young german person 
um, such an encouragement because what we've done and your your little um, story there about the TRC as well is we we and Haley often Haley and I often talk about that we've put a, a band-aid onto what happened in this country and you know part of the stuff we've been talking about a little bit on Instagram as well as this the notion of the rainbow nation so mm. it was such a lovely idea but it's it's a future idea that we we are mm. not there yet and this mm. it kind of meant well we we just had to ignore or um, I don't know what we did but we, we we just didn't look we didn't get to confront mm. the different um, roles that we mm. played mm. in the story of our history yeah um, and however hard they are as you said it's it's mm. they are painful to mm. look at but until we do that and hopefully in the meeting room that's what we are mm. journeying to do to, yeah. to see where is the place that you stood mm. in mm. the story or your family stood and therefore you stand in that generation and, and they're all connected and yeah. often the younger white generation would argue but we're not at fault mm. not realizing that they have generational privilege yeah. because yeah. Of mm. um, at the cost of, yeah. of people of color, yeah. um, but I like what I think. As human beings, we try to choose the simplest answer often, mm. and the road that's the, the decision that's mm. least painful. Yeah. And to sit in the process before we can get to the rainbow nation yeah. means that we have to sit in that pain, mm. you know, own up or lament, mm. and then how do we move forward? with all voices being heard um, and I think often why you know what's been happening in our country over the past few weeks just listening to the comments and reading some of the comments we often want a single answer and it's never a single answer it's never this or that um, and because we are disconnected um, from our history mm. we don't see our nuances mm. the context that we live in today mm. and so therefore it's never a simple answer um, because yeah. everything has a context mm. you know any any historical event yeah. that was awful like um, Hitler um, you know and the Jewish genocide it had a context yeah. Hitler had a context yeah. and and so we have to see the context we live in mm. and how do we change that context mm. together mm. learning from the past yeah. and not yeah. repeating yeah. because we can't put a band-aid on yeah. We, we actually need to rip it off now yeah. and just sit there for a while. Yeah. And, and so it's true. interesting because we, we wouldn't want to go there just yet in, in the podcast, but it's actually just gone there, um, <laughs> that we, in trying to put a band-aid on the past, has led us multiple times to places of conflict. Mm. So if you think of our, the story of uh, recently, the roads must fall, fees must mm. fall, and once again, white people not knowing quite what to do with that, um, you know, the language around that being very negative. Um, I think of the schools and the, the racism that we're seeing. You silence, silence, we amplify, and it, just about every newspaper up until recently, there was some kind of racist incident somewhere in a school in South mm. Africa. And, and now, last week, with, um, with the protests and the, um, I'm using air quotes, with the, you know, the looting and all, mm. you know, the, I'm cautious of the language that we use here, but the, with, the, with the, the crisis, mm. I think, that our country faced yeah. um, last week, it's, it's, I think, uh, got a lot to do with putting a Band-Aid on. Mm. Um, yeah. And one cannot, we can see it's not working. Mm, exactly.
It's so true, and and even even in these moments before, which I think are moments of reckoning, um, you know, people are distressed and they want things to go back to normal. Mm. Uh, some people mm. want things to go back mm. to normal, but if ever anyone asks my opinion in those moments, I always say I feel like the bandage is being taken yes. off, and only when it's in the sun mm. can yes. this heal. And so we have to be honest yeah. and. Even about the new ones, we, yeah. we can't pretend it's it's just this or just yeah. exactly what you said. I think it's so simplistic, and um, so we have to be able to hold the the, the complexity and not want to go back to stability yeah. because it's a false yeah. stability yeah. and it's a false um, sense of yeah. of peace. Yeah. And I often think of that thing, prophet saying peace, peace, but yes. there's no peace. And mm, yes. um, so we want that. We want to go back very quickly to stability in inverted commas but um but these moments of reckoning are actually a gift because they they're unveiling um mm. the real wounds mm. and mm. the stuff that people are yeah. facing mm. yeah mm. Mm. um so sorry. <laughs> in the <laughs> in the back to basics kind of idea um i think Haley and i were talking about we it's the assumptions we have. And one of the assumptions I think that we have is that when we talk about race and racism, mm. that we we all understand what it is that we're talking about. So mm. can you help us to, to unpack? What, is, what do we mean when we're talking about racism and in the South African context? Can you give us mm. a bit of a handle mm. on that? Yeah, um, um, I think putting humans in hierarchy of worth related to skin colour is the most simple of understandings in, in different places it will be different uh, um, factors but but in South Africa for me we were all swimming in this toxic pool of water everyone was in it and that toxic pool said there's hierarchy of worth and so that puts people against each other which we saw the fruit of last week um, in what happened in many parts of our country um, but in Phoenix in particular um, this pitting of one human against each other and against another um, and I think in, in a obviously on a global thing it's, it's different and I'm certainly no sociology expert but what I know is that the that race and economics are so closely linked mm. um, in that racism is so linked to economics mm. um, and and thinking someone's sub par worth means you can exploit them it's very money driven at mm. the core but it's not the only thing um, but because South Africa had that for so many years we're all kind of trying to find our worth as humans outside of that mm. but we're all unlearning stuff and mm. um, so so I would say as from a Christian perspective for me people talk about race and racism and reconciliation as some people talk about it as side issues and for me it's the absolute core mm. to me it's the core so when when a church says we don't want to get taken up with politics mm. um, it's it's mm. absolutely the worst thing you could do is say that some humans are worth more than others. Mm. Like there's nothing more evil mm. than than categorizing humans by worth and 
finding some way to do it, whether it's religion or whatever. So, um, yeah, so for me, this, to me, it's not a side issue, it's the core issue. Um, it's, it's a, it's a core issue. Okay, thanks, Linda. We just needed to pause, sorry, for um, some crazy garden stuff. Um, so, Linda, you are telling us about how, um, transformation, no, no, restitution and racism often in church context is seen as a side issue and you were you were helping mm. us to understand how you see it differently. Yeah, just that, that um, for some bizarre reason people refer to it as politics, yes. which is, mm. it's not politics, it's humanity. Mm. Um, and the very core of the gospel is that we're all created equal before God mm. and that so so it doesn't so for me if there's been a national lie mm. around mm. worth mm. that's incredibly important mm. um and if it's been instituted economically and mm. geographically like it was in this country it's of high critical importance mm. and so if we see it as something as evil as it is and if we see that we're part of bringing God's kingdom on earth, as it is in heaven, mm. then we have to see this as a core undoing. We're undoing something that took hold of a nation. Mm. And we won't talk about the world at this stage, but if we're just talking about South Africa, it's, mm. it's something that needs to be undone in all of our hearts. Mm. And, um, yeah, so for me, when people say it's politics, it's just, unfortunately, it became politics, which is why we have to address it so sternly. Mm. Um, but it's humanity, and it's it's the very core gospel. It's mm. the very basic humanity is that we're all equal before God. And so, therefore, if when Jesus said, "Forget about all the intricacies of the law; just love your neighbor as you mm. love yourself," like that's as simple as it can be. Mm. To if my neighbor, I saw a brilliant quote that said, "How can I love my neighbor and leave him with a boot on his neck?" Mm. You can't. Mm. And so. And not to be overwhelmed by the enormity of our inequality, but to say, how can I love my neighbor well? Mm. Um, it's mm. the very core of the gospel to me. And Jesus said it. So it's not yeah. even, it, you don't have to even do theological, you know, yeah. jumps to get there. Mm. So yeah, So for me, it's a, it's a big work of the church to do this. Mm. But if we ignore it mm. uh, and pretend it's not an issue, mm. then we won't be doing the undoing mm. that we need to be doing. The mm. redemption, the restoration. Mm. And often... Um, I think what's happened in church circles or um, <clears throat> is that we kind of once again do the rainbow nation thing, mm. but with Christian speak. So we'll, yep. we'll, we'll do the unity in Christ, which God has given us mm. in Christ, mm. but, yeah. but we don't do the work that's needed to live out that unity because it, we've got such a broken past and because yeah. we don't see one another as yeah. humanity yeah. Yeah. as something... Um, key mm. yeah. to the gospel yeah um it's so, true. so yeah it's interesting that hey that they're these mirrors yeah. mm. but i think because we've also been socialized to dehumanize the other yeah so it's the unlearning that you spoke about because mm. so and, and that's when we were talking about nuances earlier even in the church that is a nuance because we've all been socialized into that mm. and so we don't approach 
the gospel mm. or we don't approach each other yeah. without that nuance okay. like, and so it's unlearning that you have value yeah. because you are image bearer yeah. you have worth because you are image yeah. bearer yeah. and how do i live how do i live that out and the thing is, is that we confuse conflict with disunity. Yeah. Oh, and so quite often you'll be told to keep the unity and mm. you only get to real unity through conflict of yeah. ideas and yeah. conflict. And, and in our case, um, the, the conflict that comes with uh, being brought up with lies, I guess, yeah. and about value and worth. And, and so, so we think that peace is status quo wow, and quietness and I'd made a note to mention it later but I'll just say it now is that when people say why can't we just move on mm. what they're actually saying is why can't we stay the same mm. why can't we stay where we are mm. actually is mm. what often when people say can't we just move on they're actually saying yes, can we keep it yes. as mm. it is now instead of moving on meaning progress mm. and so the the unity sometimes it's harder to deal with the church because of this unity um, myth mm. and of course of course that's a that's a unity is something that we that we hope for and pray for mm. and dream for and work for but status mm. quo doesn't equal unity yeah, and discord is sometimes the way to mm. our, our, at the warehouse Craig often used to say don't don't confuse conflict and disequilibrium with um, lack of unity mm. because it's through that that you come to genuine yes. unity yeah. authenticness yeah. I mean, I, and I think it's that peace keeping versus, mm. versus peacemaking yeah. and so even yeah. if we look at the life of Jesus um, since we speak speaking about the church it was never he never came to keep the peace I mean he mm. just uprooted whatever yeah. needed to be uprooted but in May he gave us true peace <laughs> so he was actually a peacemaker yeah um, no, I like that yeah so I think mm. often we, we we think that we are are having are extending that peace, but we're actually just yeah. wanting to keep it. Yeah, keep, keep the water still. Yeah, let it yeah. not be too turbulent. Yeah, yeah. And that's why sometimes these these moments of disequilibrium and these moments of of when I was young, there were moments of distress when I would see something that lifted the veil. I remember yeah. watching a policeman. Uh, beat a man mm. who had uh, stolen a wallet but the the way he was beating him was I knew it was it wasn't I knew it was wrong mm. I knew it I was young mm. and I knew it was wrong and I knew it was race related mm. um, you, the, the, these moments where the veil comes up mm. from the status quo and and I think you know I'm by nature I'm a I'm conflict averse and so it's taken quite a lot for me to mm. push through and realize, oh, this is how you get to good mm. places is by being able to look at what is and not mm. what you hope it to be. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and then move with that, yeah. but with hope. I, I'm definitely not a hopeless, I, I feel like we've got more hope than ever wow. if we peace making and yes, not peace making. keeping. Peacekeeping. Yeah. That's mm. it. Sure. Yeah. Wonderful. I know we, we the conversation for for the listeners. In case you're wondering, we do usually follow a guideline, but we have so much to say, the three of us, because um, <laughs> we we often speak about this, and um, so if you hear a whole lot of stuff, it's because it's come out of conversations that we've had in the past. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I think South Africans, particularly white South Africans are and particularly Christian white South Africans are a little bit uncomfortable with certain labels um, 
and I found some of these labels not um, debilitating but to be used as tools to help with your 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 idea of lifting the veil mm. so one of those labels that we know a lot of white people struggle with is this idea of privilege mm. particularly white privilege yeah. um, and so can you help us Linda to unpack that a bit mm. yeah. yeah I've definitely seen people react very strongly to it I've tried to find different words that would oh, help too. people yeah. um, but basically you know one day I was at the airport and um, I was on that travelator, I had all my bags and 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 I just I I suddenly had this realization that I still had bags to carry, I still had to get to the yeah. other end, but I, it was easier because I was on this travelator, mm. and and I think it helped me realize that my life is easier. Yeah. It's not saying I don't have issues. Of course, I have struggles. I've had disappointments. I've had pain. I've got my own story. Um. It, it's not saying you don't have luggage or that you don't have to do the distance. It's just easier. And if you, uh, I'm definitely aware that proximity to people who don't have privilege helps you see your own privilege. Yeah. So, so for me, it was through friendship. You know, I remember driving around with a friend of mine, a huge black Angolan guy called Milton, and he was like a brother to me. And we were driving around trying to find him a flat. Mm -hmm. This is years ago, and um, I would phone and totally innocently because he was driving and I wasn't and I would phone and a flat would be available and then as soon as we arrived it would be suddenly not available and this is 20 years ago I remember thinking this is so fishy like like and and I mean to the fact that I didn't I just hadn't seen that before and hadn't experienced it and then started experiencing it through friendships really so so and Unfortunately, because we're also geographically divided, mm. proximity is something that you have to be very intentional about. And so many people are still stuck in their privileged bubble thinking that it's normal mm. when it's actually privileged. And, mm. and it's because of that lack of proximity, often, not mm. always. Um, so for me, there's, there's privilege that's related to e economics mm. and this privilege it's related to your place in society mm. and so for example I live on a little uh, small holding in Constantia and almost weekly my friend Moetu who lives in the cottage next to me he's he's got a bucky and he is followed back to the property he's lived there 10 years longer than me and he's followed back probably once a week and mm. um, by security yeah. and Another friend of mine came to the farm and went and had a retreat time and went for a walk on the green belt and one of the security guards was um, from Silverhurst was told to please just come and there's a suspicious looking person on the green belt. Mm. Now what makes someone suspicious? Yeah. Mm. Other than that he was black. Yeah. And so so obviously I mean we could all three sit here mm. and tell a mm. hundred stories of privilege mm. and 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 when we saw it mm. or or when we experience it or but the economic privilege is obvious in generational wealth and even for someone like me who came when we came from Zim we went to bringing furniture we went about bringing money mm. and even for someone like me we've never been without food we've always had sanitation <coughs> always had a roof over our head um, and and sure. that's not the case mm. for 
I don't know the percentages, but for so many South Africans. So so the, the, the sheer privilege of the fact that when my granny died, she left me 15,000 rand. It's not a huge amount of money. I bought a laptop and I had business cards printed and mm. I started freelancing. Uh, my friend Nancy's granny died and she inherited the debt from the funeral. Oh, and so even on small levels, we're yeah. not talking mm. big houses and yeah. and mm. huge trusts. We're talking just on normal, yeah. mm. you know, our family's a good example because we didn't have a lot. Mm. And and yet there was so much mm. um economic security even though we didn't have a lot mm. and so economically i think it's not rocket science that there's generational wealth that's been passed mm. down mm. and i remember unfortunately only realizing this when i was in chicago i went to a museum there um uh it was a black history museum mm. and they had a very clever display of banknotes mm. um of what a slave family would have even if they'd been paid a low rate mm. what would have been passed on mm. compared to nothing compared to someone whose wealth mm. was just passed mm. down generations and it was the first time I saw it graphically and I was like oh my goodness sure. that's South Africa yeah. um, to a T mm. and so I think that that the that the economic sense of, of privilege is pretty logical mm. um, you know I can I have, there's so many analogies that you could use. Um, I often say it was like a pool of water, a reservoir that had a fence around it, and only some people had keys. Um, and then during all those years, um, underground uh, water tunnels were dug, and and then this, this underground water system, so that my garden in this, my garden uh, in air quotes, um, the metaphor, means that there's there's water able to get to different places then they take the fence down mm. and say i oh, know everyone can get this water everyone can but if you if you miles away and don't have a truck with a water tank you can what go and get a cup full mm. um so the geographic the historic mm. the 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 obviousness of generational wealth and then the fact that sure. everyone's got access now in mm. to commerce but but mm. the systems are set up. Mm. Yeah. And so part of, of understanding privilege, it's not personal, it's not a personal attack, it's mm. just facts. Yeah. Mm. It's not personal, it's facts. That's the economic stuff. And then the, the moving through the world mm. just being made easier mm. um, is, is just sheer fact. I mean, during lockdown, nine people lost their lives um, for breaking lockdown rules. There wasn't one white person mm. in that mix. Mm. And I would, if there had been, there would have been a bigger outcry. Yeah. And so we're still dealing with the after effects of this value of mm. human life mm. and who's valuable mm. and who's not. Mm. Interesting. And your lockdown example is interesting, isn't it? Because the kinds of concerns that people had also were reflective of that same privilege, yeah. you know, the whole beaches. And I'm not saying, I mean, those are all conversations mm. worth having. I'm not mm. saying we shouldn't mm. have them. But it's interesting what people mm. found an offence to their yeah. movement of human rights. Yeah, exactly. And that was a good example because there's nothing awful about someone saying, I want to be on the beach. Mm. Nothing is not an attack. It's just completely disconnected mm. to what most people were suffering from, which was economic yeah. daily bread. Yeah. And and so, again, it's not it's not personal. I mean, it was it was a bit cringy for me because I was... I was you know, hearing of people who couldn't eat and, mm. you know, just the desperation. And then 
you know, to, to see the level of energy that went into that was painful. But it's not that they're doing anything wrong. It's the proximity, it's the privilege, it's the thinking, this is the biggest issue, and it is your biggest issue, but it's not someone else's. And I think you've hit the nail on the head, because you said, because you had proximity to people who mm. didn't have privilege, mm. you saw your own, mm. and also you could um, make these comparisons, yeah. like, you know, mm. each, even though it's... Even though it's a good thing, mm. there was someone starving or didn't yeah. have a job. And I think often um, white people, especially in South Africa, history has worked to be on your side. The current system, yeah. because of these structures that's been still. put in place, is still working mm. on your side. So whenever there's a bit of discomfort, mm. it's suddenly my rights mm. have been taken away. Yeah, long queues. Yeah, <laughs> long yeah. queues, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and so I think the... the the, the veil lifting will mm. happen when white people are in proximity. And I'm not talking about the person who works in yes. your garden or in your yeah. home. I'm talking about proximity to yeah. people yeah. who have it who are different to you yes. and mm. live in a different space to see that. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. then to ask yourself the question, mm. like, if I was born and my daughter had, um, when she was in, in high school, there was an issue when they were speaking around apartheid. And I just said, the question to ask, we're not, we're not denying that anyone worked hard, mm. but if you were born black or colored, yeah. Mm. Yeah. would you be where you are today? Yeah. Yeah. Would you have a holiday home? Mm. Would you have two holiday mm. homes? Mm. Would you have five overseas trips? Yeah. And that's not to say that people of color aren't having that now, mm. but this is first generational mm. yeah. wealth. Mm. So it's not generational um, mm. um, privilege mm. and wealth that we've mm. inherited. Yeah, yeah. And the social capital yeah. that you have, yeah. which is also part of your white yeah. privilege, because yeah. it's a picking up of the phone. You went to some, went to school with someone who's now a CEO, mm. and 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 as a first generation mm. person of color, we are only creating that mm. for our children. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. a knowing how, how the system works so that you know how yeah. to work it. Mm. I remember at some point we homeschooled one of our children and he wanted to go back to school. And um, I knew how, this sounds a bit horrible, but I, because I knew how school works, mm. I knew what I needed to do to get a certain school that we were wanting to send him to and that he wanted to go to to pay attention to us. Because sure. I, you know, I know, you know how the, the system. Exactly. So um, you know the speak, you know the system, mm. you know who to speak to, how to speak to them, mm. and mm. how to get your mates who've done this mm. before to help mm. you with that mm. process. Mm. Whereas yeah. that, and I think to flag up, you know, with our ladies at the meeting room, we're working through very slowly Charlene Swartz's mm. book, Another mm. Country, and um, the interesting thing in there is that she, in the one chapter that we're busy yeah. doing, the two chapters that we're busy doing, she highlights that and explains that generational yeah. um, thing mm. extremely mm. excellently. Sure. If anyone That's wants good, to yeah. dig a bit more. And the, mm. and the loss really to people of colour. Yeah. Yeah. Economically, at the cost, at the cost yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. that was the eye, because in my that head I knew, you know, yeah. I am lack privileged because mm. of my colour. Yeah. But to see the cost too, yeah. when yeah. she broke it down like that, that was an eye opener. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's and and for me it's always simple. It is if if things are acquired because mm. you're at the same starting level, mm -hmm. then I can say okay, actually yeah. more talented, you know. But it was yeah. sheer race. It was yeah. sheer opportunity because mm. of your race. In yeah. many cases, mm. and I'm not saying that people aren't, mm. you know, but mm. it's not for lack of opportunity, which also mm. the lack of um, talent or yeah. ability, mm. which is yeah. also the narrative mm. which people of color have to live. So you're yeah. constantly proving yourself. Proving yourself. That, um, that is even if you are educated, yeah. more yeah. so. 
um, you know, that, that constant proving, yeah. Um, yeah. which white people don't have to And do. the, the assumption, mm-hmm. like the assumption mm-hmm. of, like there's no suspicion. Mm. Sometimes as a woman, I can feel that suspicion in, in a work yeah. environment yeah. way, but there's an assumption of opposite of suspicion of trust. Yeah. There's yeah. an assumption of trust if you want, which is yeah. social capital. Yeah. And then the assumption of suspicion, yeah. which is um, the that you that you almost have to do double. Yeah. To and it's again nuanced because in the past when I've addressed privilege with um, white people, that you know the response was, but I'm not wealthy. Mm-hmm. And it's not just seeing it as that, it's seeing all these nuances yeah. like um, getting more credit because you're white yes. or because yeah. you have a house, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, um, walking into a store and not mm. being followed, yeah. um, going for a job interview and being judged solely, well, on your, mm. you know, and not having all the other nuances which mm. people yeah. actually getting to be, be interviewed. Yeah. Um, yeah, and not feeling like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, if I get this job, it's because I'm a BEE, because yeah. you know that's the mm-hmm. narrative. Um, so there's so many of these nuances that just operate in the, the background. Yeah. yeah, but again, you wouldn't know of it if yeah. you're not having these conversations. Exactly. If you're not, you getting, think it's normal. Yeah, if you're getting, if you're, if you're getting close mm-hmm. to someone who's very different. From yeah, you. I saw a very good little cartoon, and it was two fish swimming in a bowl, and the one said, "Water? What water?" Because mm-hmm. you in it, yeah. you don't even yeah. realize. I just think it's normal, yeah. um, and I like that little clip. You know, obviously people are trying to help people understand, mm-hmm. and it's. But I love that clip of of just showing a black woman running around a track yeah. and a white man. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's really good, and it just shows that he's just got this clear track, mm-hmm. and she's got so many obstacles mm-hmm. to get over to be as yeah. uh, to where he is. Mm-hmm. So I think it's again, it's not. Um, it's a very offensive idea to people, but it's it's not personal. Mm. I don't know how, mm. like, it's not personal. It's factual. It's historic. Mm. It's And it's not saying you're a loser. I think, you know, as I said mm. in that Outliers talk, is our self-esteem, mm. you know, so low that we can't admit mm. what our ancestors did that was so terrible? Mm. Um, can we admit that, we, that our life's been easier? Mm. Easier. And of course, we've all got our own and struggles and pain. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a majority. There's yeah. a commonality in that we will all go through, you know, pain. Mm. If it's a mental health issue or mm. divorce, that's common. Yeah. But that's then there's it. things that aren't. Yeah, that's yeah. life. But then there, there's the uncommon things yeah. Yeah. that only people of color that's experience. It. Yeah, um, yeah. That's so it. And proximity uh, yeah. helps. Yeah. And proximity you understand helps. if you listen. Yeah. If you listen, mm-hmm. and and you know one of the the choices I made many years ago and when I look back I didn't have a clue so I'm so grateful that one little choice helped me but I, I decided to go to a church in a, in a different community mm-hmm. to me I went to church in Googs for about 13 years right. and, I, and, and proximity is when I started seeing the injustices of how people were treated even by other people in in church mm. um, you know in, in the suburbs mm. I would hear how a person who is a domestic worker could be treated and mm. it's almost like the unveiling so, is forced because yeah. you in proximity so yeah. the, the the geographic distancing mm. is is another layer mm. on the social distancing yeah. which we already well it's perpetuating we we in fact are still living out apartheid yeah, the, well the the, 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 physicality the the physicality of, of apartheid yeah, so um, you know just yeah. because we have a constitution means mm-hmm. that we still there's lots that we 
lots that's still being denied. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because yes, you may have education, but what quality? Mm. You know, do you have a right to? Mm. So it's all those things that you can ask. And why is is it okay for a black and colored child to get that type of education? Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, or to live in that kind of home? Or to live mm. in that home? Mm. Um, mm. But I know we have lots to discuss. Yeah. And listeners, we we actually said this was going to be a two part because realize. Um, I don't have the best of concentration, so I can't always listen to more than 45 minutes. And so we're very aware of this. And so we're going to pause here. And when we come back, we will talk more with Linda.